Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. So tonight, I'm going to be talking about the the narrow and the wide gates, or the narrow and the wide way, um, which are two verses um, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to read them, then I'm going to talk a bit about how they fit in the overall structure, and then we'll come back to them and uh, have a look. But what I do want to say is, these are very common verses. Uh, You'll be very familiar with them if you've been in church and around Christianity for any length of time. And I think that there are many, many ways that we can understand what Jesus is trying to say um, through these two verses. And like I've said many times before, the the rabbis uh, used to say, you know, there are 70 faces to the Torah. Turn it and turn it again and you can understand it in different ways. I feel like this verse or these two verses in particular kind of embody that. I think there are many ways, many lenses through which we can read these verses, many meanings that we can gather from them, many kind of ways that we can understand it. And you could like spend all year just preaching on these two verses, looking at it in different angles. We're not going to do that, don't worry. Um, But what I do want to say is I'm just taking us one way tonight, but it's not the only way for us to read these, okay? So just so you know... um, You can think that what I say tonight is a bit rubbish and choose your own interpretation and, you know, that's fine. But I'm just doing it that way. So let's have a read of it. Um, I've picked a, a particular translation just to make it a bit different. Go in by the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction, you see, is nice and wide. And the road going there has plenty of room. Lots of people go that way. But the gate leading to life is narrow, and the road going there is a tight squeeze. Not many people find their way through. Familiar? Yeah. Go in by the narrow gate. Walk the narrow road. The wide, wide is the road that leads to, to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Very familiar. Before we move on and really have a look at them, I just want to give us a real quick overview of the structure of the Sermon on the Mount so we can see how, in particular, this passage and then the next ones that we're going to be looking at fit in the overall structure. So this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the blesseds, which we haven't actually looked at yet, but we will. This is why we need more time. Now, what I want to say about this is that I feel like the blesseds talk about the strange geography of being blessed. It's like strange places where you find yourself blessed, not the way that we would pick. We would say, blessed are the rich, because then you're feeling good. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. So he he turns the location of blessedness in strange ways. Then he goes on to talk about us. You are salt, light, and city on a hill. Then he goes on to talk about him. I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Then we have the six... You have heard it said, but I tell yous. And Jesus goes through six of them. They're about murder, and Jesus takes it to anger. They're about adultery, which he drives into lust. They're about divorce, which addresses power dynamics. It's about oaths, which deal with deceit and control. Eye for an eye, which speaks into revenge. And love for enemies, which is about how we other one another. So he does six of those and takes us deeper. 
Then he talks about, and he says, be whole or perfect as your heavenly Father is whole or perfect. And we see, in essence, I guess, what Jesus is saying through all of these things is, I want to take you into wholeness. God is whole, and I want you to be whole. So I'm going to address these very earthy, very human things of lust, anger, rage, revenge, in order that you might be whole. Then we move on to the three when yous, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. And Jesus talks about how we practice our faith. He then talks about three do nots, do not hoard or do not store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, do not worry and do not judge. Then he follows them up with things, three things we should do, do ask, do seek, and do knock. And then it moves away from specific things. All of the things leading up to that are very specific. Don't be anger, don't murder, don't lust, don't judge, don't worry, do give, do fast, do pray. Very practical, very everyday, very ordinary things in the lives of every human. And then he, he kind of goes into this broad scale thing where he starts to then invite us to consider the way we are living not in the day-to-day, not in the everyday of our anger and our rage and our lust and our judging and the planks in our eyes and all those sorts of things, but looking at your life, what is the trajectory of the way you are living and where are you going to end up? And so we kind of have four, I guess, metaphors that Jesus speaks about, the narrow and the wide way, which we've just read. Then he talks about good and bad fruit. Then he talks about doing Um, God's will versus using God's power. Many of you will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. But we drove out demons in your name. We healed people in your name. We prophesied in your name. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So that's that bit. We'll get to that. That sounds exciting. And then, of course, we have building for the storm. Are you building your house on a rock or on sand? And he's got these four kind of like metaphors of ways of living that are vague. Uh, He doesn't interpret the meaning of them. And they're open to understand, like they're open to various understandings, I suppose. And so this is where we're starting to enter into the more like, let's look at the trajectory of our lives. And I think that Jesus kind of specifically is unspecific so that for every reader or listener of these words, we have to work out what this means for us. He doesn't tell us where the narrow way is. He doesn't tell us what bad fruit tastes like. He doesn't tell us what building on sand or building on rock really means. It's, this is where our faith in practice has to wrestle out what does it look like to follow Jesus today. So that's what we're going to be looking at. It's, it's an invitation, I suppose, to consider what the longer-term outcomes of our life are. And I guess as we're reading and as we're listening and as we move through some of these, I would like to suggest that you hear the words of Jesus not as the words of a judge giving you an ultimatum about your life, but perhaps instead the words of a doctor who's giving you a checkup on how you're going. There is a very, very big difference to seeing Jesus as a judge 
versus seeing Jesus as a doctor. If you come before the doctor, you're going to tell him everything about your life. My left elbow hurts and, and when I walk, this knee twitches and my eye blinks a bit. And you know, you're going to go through everything to, to the doctor because you want to figure out what's wrong and you want to be healed. But when you come before a judge, uh, I just need to tell you I was speeding <laughs> and I've got a parking ticket and I bumped into that car and I didn't leave a note. Like, you don't do that when you come before a judge. You kind of hide before a judge, but you expose yourself before a doctor. It's very important you see Jesus as a doctor and not as a judge because he wants to read your life and he wants to bring you wholeness and healing. And I think it's important for us to read these words not as a judgment, like, oh, we're going to end up here if we don't do this, but actually as an invitation to healing and wholeness and a checkup for the way that we're living. So that's my suggestion that we do as we read these. So how about we have a read of this again and we situate ourselves back in Matthew chapter 7. Go in by the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction, you see, is nice and wide. And the road going there has plenty of room. Lots of people go that way. But the gate leading to life is narrow. And the road going there is a tight squeeze. Not many people find their way through. This is the last thing I want to say about this this, these two verses in particular and all the other ones that come after them. And I've said this to us all year. We must read the Sermon on the Mount thinking about our present, not imposing eternal life consequences on these words. That Usually the way these passages are used, like it's like the wide highway leading to hell and the small road that not many people find that leads to heaven. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said these words. I do think that's how we've predominantly read them. But I think that Jesus is trying to teach us about life now. Or maybe destruction now. What are the things that are going to give your life life now? What are the things that are going to bring ruin to your life now? Not just for the future and kind of eternalizing this, but what about now? Because everything leading up to this point, everything in the Sermon on the Mount is about your life now, your wholeness now, your healing now. The way you operate now. And I just can't imagine that Jesus just then does an about face and starts to talk about eternity. We can read eternity into this. I think that's helpful. But it's not the only way to see it. And I do want to challenge you to not just eternalize these words, but to think about your life now and what Jesus might say to you now about where life is. And so we have a small gate and a narrow road. And we have a wide gate and a broad road. And Jesus doesn't explain what those look like, feel like, smell like, or anything. But he does say that the narrow road leads to life. And that word life means a state of vitality. It means the fullness of life in God. It means real and genuine life, active and vigorous life. It means life that's devoted to God. It's being blessed in the now and in the, in the age to come. That's what that word life means. It's like everything good and full of energy and vigor and blessing and wonderfulness. That's that word life. We all want life, right? 
If we're going to think about what, is, what do I want my life to look like, that's what we want our lives to look like. Full of vitality, full of peace, full of joy, full of every blessing in God, full of hope, full of, you know, goodness and love and generosity. That's life. This is the life that Jesus is saying. The narrow road leads to life. And then there's a broad road that leads to destruction. And that word destruction does mean the destroying of things. Like you might drop a vase on the floor and it shatters. It's that word. It means ruin. It means places and things that are ruined. And it means perishing, like dying, you know. And I think if we're thinking about not just the life to come, but of now, we have to ask ourselves, what does it feel like when our lives are in ruin? What does it feel like when relationships are in tatters? What does it feel like when our soul is like thirsty and parched and dry? That's kind of the, the essence of what the wide road is. And Jesus says few find the narrow way or maybe few choose to walk the narrow way but many are on the wide way. And when I was reading these verses and just thinking them over, the, the thing that kept coming to my mind was the proverb that says, there is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction. And I wonder if in these words that Jesus is speaking, he's drawing out from the wisdom tradition that the Jewish people would have been very familiar with, the wisdom tradition, and he's adding new wisdom for us. There is a way to live that seems good, but in the end it leads to destruction. And not just eternal destruction, but ruin along the way. But maybe there's also a way that's hard to find, but in the end it leads to life. And before, before us, Jesus is laying out two paths in essence. And, and he's not saying it, but in essence he's saying choose the narrow way. Walk the narrow way. Figure out what it means to be on the narrow way and find it. So this is how I want us to look at this tonight. What I want us to do is to try and put ourselves in the shoes of the people who would have heard Jesus say this. I want us to try and hear what they would have heard and I want to see if we can join some dots that they would have joined as they heard these words and then I want us to figure out what that means for now. Does that make sense? So instead of starting with what does this verse mean to me today, we're going to start with what, do, what did this mean to them and then work sort of backwards. So basically I want to pull out two things that I think were really important for the people who listened to this when they, when they heard Jesus say this word. The first one is, when the people in first century Palestine heard Jesus say this, they would not have individualised this. Because they did not have a culture that celebrated the individual. That is very Western. So when we read scripture, we always make it about me and what God might want to say to me and how this might bless me or how this might challenge me. 
But that would not have been in the ears of the people who first heard this. They had a much more corporate culture. They heard things about us. They thought in terms of families and communities, not individuals. So I imagine that when the people heard this, they weren't necessarily in their mind, like we in our mind, well, uh, let me talk about my, when I in my mind imagine this, I'm just imagining me on either the wide road or me walking the little goat track to heaven. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm there with me. But when they heard this, they would have pictured their family group or their community. This was about us. This wasn't just about me and my little life, me and my choices that I make about my individual life and my individual eternal destiny. They would have heard this through a community lens about us. This is about us on the narrow road, or this is about us on the wide road. They wouldn't, they just wasn't their thinking to individualize this. That's Western. And so I think we need to just hear that in order to jolt us out of our very narrow individualistic mentalities that we bring to scripture. So Jesus would have heard, what road are we on? What road is my family on? What road are we on together? And it wouldn't have just been about life for me or ruin for me, but it would have been about life for us or ruin for us. It would have been much more corporate than I think we hear it. And so I just want to I just want to say that I think it's important because we need to be aware about how much we make our scripture about me and my little destiny instead of us and our corporate hope and our our love and our life with one another. So I don't think they would have heard it as individuals. I think they would have heard it more broadly. Possibly they would have also even heard it as Israel. Jesus is speaking to Israel because it was very common for the prophets. They didn't come to individuals. They came to Israel. They came to nations. They came to communities and they spoke God's word. So first and foremost, they would have been thinking corporately. And secondly... I think when Jesus starts to think, when Jesus starts to talk about roads, what do you think would have been in their minds? Road to Jerusalem. Who built the roads? Rome. Okay. Rome is known, the Roman Empire built roads phenomenally everywhere it's what they did roman soldiers their job when they weren't killing the people they wanted to conquer was building the roads they built roads all over the place there are roads you can still go and find them now that the romans built and they're a phenomenal, phenomenal sense of engineering. Like they were incredible. It's not like there were never roads before Rome came along. But Rome took what was kind of like haphazard and scattered and whatever and they industrialised it on mega scale. So when Jesus starts to say, wide is the road that leads to destruction or ruin, 
I think what would have popped up into the minds of everyone listening is Jesus is poking at the empire because they have built the wide roads. So all of a sudden this takes us perhaps in a new direction away from Oh, where is my eternal destiny? And is this some kind of metaphorical highway that leads to hell? And all of a sudden into the here and the now of the people in first century Palestine going, we know what the wide roads are because Rome built that. Rome built roads and they had, they built roads that the roads were a symbol of the power of empire. They were like, you want to know how good we are? Check out our roads. They're still around today, some of them. That's how good they were at building them. They were really good. The roads that Rome built allowed really free and quick movement of armies. You want to conquer lands unknown, you got to build roads wide enough for armies to march. So they were a sign of conquering these wide roads. Roads before that might have been mostly dirt, but a lot of the Roman roads are paved. Um, if you go back to the other one, is that the other one? Yeah, that is, that is a road, it's sort of, you can still see the pavings of it and it's leading from Jerusalem to beat, I don't even know where that place is, I should have looked it up so I sounded smarter, but I just didn't. That place, beat Gubrin. It's still around. So they built these wide roads. Um, the major roads that Rome built were a standard 4.2 metres wide wider than any road had been. Why? Because they needed to be able to have two wheeled vehicles, mainly chariots or wagons, be able to pass each other without getting off the road. They built wide road, wide, like that's not wide in our time. We're, to, we, we're used to like four lane highways, but that's wide, wide for their time. Not only did they build these roads, but beginning and at the end, and sometimes in the middle of all these roads, they built arches. And on those arches, they engraved the symbols of their power. The conquering, the kings, the Caesars, the evidence in picture of the might. So there is no question about what these roads stand for. They stand for power, control, domination, empire, progress, peace through violence, conquering, that's what these roads mean. Rome built the roads. So when Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, what would have come up in the minds of his listeners were, he's, he's talking about Rome. He's poking at the empire that thinks it's on top and is oppressing us because Israel is an oppressed people, he's saying that the road of empire is the road to ruin. But many people are on it. But narrow is the road that leads to life. And so I think his listeners were thinking about empire and were knowing that Jesus was maybe poking the stick at Rome. I mean, we know Jesus got in trouble not only with the Jewish authorities but with the Roman authorities, this is kind of why. Because he, he poked at them. He was subtle at times. But we don't, like, when we read that, we don't think Roman roads, do we? We just, I don't know what you picture. 
But that's not where our mind goes. We don't think this is about perhaps empire. But I think for the listeners of Jesus, they knew that Jesus was connecting this with empire, the way of control and domination, peace for the privileged and oppression, oppression for the masses, wealth for the few and poverty for the masses, execution of anyone who dares to question those in power. That's what the empire was about. And Jesus is saying that kind of way leads to ruin. And not just ruin for me, but ruin for us. You want to jump on the road to empire and it's the destruction of people. You want to jump on the road to life and it's life for all. And so this is what I want to ask, and this is where we're going to do some work together tonight, so I'm just not going to give you the answers. I'm going to be like Jesus. This is the question. If Jesus is making a subtle critique of the wide way of empire, how might we understand today if we're walking on the wide road of empire in our times. So talk to the... You're going to do some work. I'm not going to do the work for you. I want to ask you that question. What does empire mean in our times? What does that look like? What does that sound like? What, is, what would Jesus critique if he came into our Western civilization in our democratic Australia with our economic systems and our welfare and our jobs and our pace of life and what we value and consider success and what we consider progress to be, what would he critique about us? And he would say, wide is that road that leads to ruin for many. What would, what would he do? So just have a chat. Take a couple of minutes. And I'm going to ask you to tell me some things. So, you know, I want you to feed back some ideas. How are we going? I always read it by the, the, the um, volume of conversation in the room. And there's been a lull. What is the way of empire in our day and our time that might lead to ruin? I'm gonna run I'm gonna run the, the mic around. Are you gonna Amy, do you wanna jump me? Oh well I feel like everyone quietened down. If you you got you wanna keep chatting? Yeah, okay. That sounds all right. Anyone want to go on then? I've been volunteered. Um, well, the thing, one of the things that immediately jumped to my mind was our Indigenous heritage in our culture in Australia. Like I was thinking about the parallels of, of that sort of occupying system and the people that were trampled in it back then and our, the comfort in which the majority of Australia lives while the minority and particularly our Indigenous heritage is sort of trampled underneath our, our comfortable highway. Um, and then we also talked about how that highway also allows us to ignore 
the the people that it would make us feel uncomfortable the the homeless or the the poor or whoever it is that we can just cruise on by and we're going fast enough that we can't see the people in the gutters that are not as comfortable as we are wow who else had some good things to say kevin i did hear the word capitalism up here when i went and got a drink so it must be good yeah do you want to say she had all the really good points. <laughs> I just thought they were awesome. Um, we talked about like capitalism, materialism, like just that kind of love for money um, and how we can get really sidetracked on the wide road of finance and how, but then, um, I don't know, Sarah Jane, Sarah Jane had this amazing point of like how it's just reinforced everywhere you go. It's like, Oh, we have one car, but no, no, we need two cars. Oh, yeah, you do need, and everybody's, oh, you do need this. You do, well, you have three kids. You need two cars, and da, 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 da. and it's like everywhere you go, it's reinforced that, you know, you need this, you need this, you need this. You know, you, you watch the news, and it's all negative, and it makes you want to buy stuff, and everything just keeps pushing along in the way that our economy is set up. So what's the ruin in that? For us. <laughs> Don't ask me. Either. Don't ask. Go over there where she But like I said, that in our search to like get the stuff, we feather our own nest first and we tend to go like, okay, so if I have a certain amount of feathers, then I'll start to give. Once I'm taken care of, my fe- – and that loses community where um, – and I was saying that, you know, we'll go, okay, once I get that second feather, like I've got one now, instead of giving half to you – I'll wait till I get it. And then we strive so hard, we have 15 feathers. And then we say, okay, oh, I was going to give that feather. We give one feather. Instead of that seven and a half that we thought we were going to give, which was fair or, what you know, whatever, like fair or whatever you thought you were going to give in the first place, we, we get lost in it and it's, it's, a, it's the hamster wheel. Even in my job, I can't, like, people are like, oh, I'm using seven heaters and I don't know why my electricity is so high. My bill, no, I mean, and I don't mean this in a negative way, like, um, I don't know what to do. I cannot say to them, turn off your heater. Because my job, my income, my family relies on them blindly using electricity. <laughs> and I, get, I, get, I could get fired for it by saying, just grab a heater. Because it's considered giving an opinion of my own experience because I don't have a heater. I, I have a low electricity bill because they're like, well, how do we do it? Now, the obvious is turn off your heater. Don't consume as much. Don't spend as much. Then my bosses are like, whoa, what did you say? <laughs> we actually can get called into a, a disciplinary hearing about that. So it's, it's that consume, consume, consume. Even me, and I've got, oh, I've got all these ideas. I'm aware that if I say that, I could lose my income and my family could suffer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm aware of that as a person. Like, I have the challenge where that Yeah. Happen. Interesting. Yeah. What else? What do people talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, why did you read the background? No, I think I, I kind of like the theme I'm hearing a little bit, but it feels like if I think about the Roman Empire and, what, and the soldiers, they were going to consume land. They're going to consume people and places and tribes. and You know what I mean? Like they, they wanted more. Right. Well, we want more of that. So let's march in on our roads. Let's go get that. And and we're not exactly doing that now. But we're going in and we're consuming 
you know, whatever it is in our modern time. Do you know what I mean? Like I want more of those cars or I want more home or more property or more things or materialistic stuff. And, and so I feel like we're on that wide road of just going in and plundering, you know, um, in the, and the ruin is our earth and, and our societies and our family structure and, and everything's just sort of like deteriorating, moral decline, like just as we're going ahead, you know, on the rat race or whatever, you know, so that's my little two cents. I know. I, my thought was actually <laughs> about the meat industry and how as something like a huge proportion of the world is used for breeding livestock and that has shoved the grain prices up and people are starving because they can't afford grain and how our greed in the West, we need more meat, we need more cows, is costing people their lives. But I like meat. <laughs> It, yeah, it's, you know, there is a way that seems good, but it ends in ruin for many. And I might be prosperous and okay, but is that what Jesus would say to us? I'm thinking now as people are talking, but um, thinking of like Jesus teaching on what do we do with our enemies in the Sermon on the Mount and um, that it seems like using power over our enemies, using retribution, especially on nation level, it seems like that's the, that's the way to go. That's the good thing. That's, um, I mean, I, I was 19, 9-11 in America. Like, I remember very well, you know, our churches were gung-ho for war in the Middle East, honestly. And then you look, in, like, 20 years later, and that's, it has brought destruction to the world, into our own nation, our own soul and safety as a nation among ourselves with our children and our guns, you know? So I guess I'm just thinking of that as like, it seems like this is the path that everybody's marching on, but what will happen in 20 years or 50 years? Like, it will actually destroy us. And like, trying to imagine what if my leaders had chosen the narrow gate? What if they asked for help from other nations that were saying, hey, there's another way? Like, imagine what, what it could be like. That's good. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, Joe. We'll have to send it down the front soon, hey? It's just yeah. been hang, hanging around up at the back. Um, I guess I was just thinking about, like, the different layers of, of this and it kind of, like, comes down to our individual and collective consciousness. So it's like the wide path of our consciousness. And one example that I was kind of sharing with, sharing with Michael is just this need within us to have to do something to feel productive to feel valued and that idea that if we're not um, and I think that really just drives you know, all the things that we're talking about a lot of that so yeah just one little aspect of yeah I maybe I should say something about roads um <laughs> Because as everyone was just talking then, I thought, oh, flip, I work for an organisation that built a lot of roads. And um, 
it's extremely destructive to build a road, actually. Um, it takes a lot of energy um, and it destroys a lot of land or trees or whatever it is to actually build a road. And then if you ask your question, why am I building this road or fixing this road? It's so people can go faster, so people can get to work quicker, so people can work longer. And it's just, it is actually an amazing symbol of empire, the road, um, and just what it symbolises as well. So. Yeah, it's interesting because when the Romans built their roads, like they are, they are, they are dead. They're straight. A true Roman road is like straight. So they were not interested in connecting people and villages and townships. They were interested in the fastest, most efficient way between there and here. And they, it wasn't. It wasn't driven by connection, by relationship, by people, by increase. It was driven by efficiency production speed and how can we yeah it's, it's interesting that's still very much the case in our day and age those things we might not be building straight roads we are building roads but the efficiency production at the expense of people and community that's familiar for us I don't know if I really need to say this but I was just thinking how wide would the road have to be for two of those giant mining dump trucks to pass each other very wide. I don't know the answer to that. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, Joe. Um, I've just been thinking about, you said about there was execution of anyone who dares to speak up or disagree with the empire. Um, I don't know what I was going to say about that, but something about I feel like there's a culture here where we try to listen to other people. And even though it's really uncomfortable and can be really hard and can be like, that's not fun. This isn't fun what we're doing this afternoon, Caro. <laughs> it's really hard work. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like as a community, we're doing a really hard thing. We're thinking you're getting us to think about these terrible things <laughs> as a community, but it's life giving in the end. Like to use our Sunday to think about these things. That's when change comes. I think when whole communities do it. Anyway, I don't know how that's relevant to the other bit, but something about listening feels, I don't know, like we're, I know the people aren't here that we're talking about necessarily, or some of them are, like all of us with busyness and stuff, and anyway, it's giving those people a voice. Yeah. Nice, good. Anyone else? Oh yeah, Brian. I took notes. <laughs> Uh, I just think, which which we didn't talk about, but I was thinking the whole thing of language, and and the language of empire, that seeps into us and we don't know it. And has anyone ever called you a consumer? Have us ever think about that? If if your entire value and that whole thing of value and and who are we and what are we, is wrapped up in the word you are a consumer. And then you choose not to consume. If you choose to grow your own veg, if you choose to walk, if you choose to do things other than what empire wants you to do, that's subversive acts. And all of a sudden you find that there's a law against you. And you have a look at, at, at how that all works. Have a look at, at the, the language that we use about ourselves and what we do. Uh, we are here to produce. 
And if you have a look at what's happening now to the poor and the disenfranchised, they're being penalised, almost criminalised for being poor because they don't produce anything. And I think, what are we doing? This, this is just so wrong. And that, that juxtaposition of, of empire and kingdom. And we need to pull that back. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in an empire that we, we cannot pull ourselves back from because everything has been stripped from us, even down to the way we describe ourselves as human beings. If, if we can't do that, that, that's just... That's disaster. It will lead to destruction. It's good. I mean... This is not the only way we can look at these verses, but this really is one way. And I think it's probably one way that we miss because when we hear the word road, we don't connect that to empire in the same way that Jesus' listeners would have connected empire. And when we think about ruin, we tend to individualise that about my ruin and what might ruin me. We don't necessarily think about ruin in terms of what's ruining our culture or our community or the least of these. But Jesus was, he was always pushing his listeners to consider the least of these. And he knew the ever pervasive power of dominant culture. And we see that in different things that Jesus says. You know, when the disciples are squabbling over who's going to be the greatest, he says to them, you know, the... The rulers of the empire lord it over people. Not so with you. He's critiquing empire. He's saying you are being influenced by the world around you and empire. And I want to say to you, empire has nothing to do with me. And you are not to have anything to do with it. You are not to be like that. And I think that in this, this passage, Jesus would be challenging us to find the narrow way that leads to life for many, to choose the hard way, which might squeeze us a little bit because it's squeezing perhaps to not just think about my wealth, health and prosperity, but to choose to make decisions about my lifestyle that empower the least, the last and the lost. That's a squeezing kind of thing. That is a few find it kind of thing. Few find the narrow way. Few choose to walk the hard road. Few choose to embrace the squeezing that might take place in each one of us in order that there might be life and goodness for all. But I think this is one way that we can read this passage that can challenge us, both as communities and as individuals, about how are we living, not just for what the fruit is going to be tomorrow, but what is the long-range trajectory of the road that you are on? What is the long-range end of the road that we're on? Because if we're all on the ro wide road of empire and consuming, it's going to end in ruin. But there is a little goat track that takes a lot longer, that feels a li little less steady, that requires a lot more energy and it's a little bit more lonely but it leads to life and not just life for you but life for the world.
And that, in a sense, is what Jesus is calling his people to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are the life of the world. I'm calling you out of empire and away from easy and on a narrow and perhaps more lonely road that might squeeze you a little bit, but it leads to life. And not just like life in the end, like you have, it has to suck now forever and then it'll be life in the end, but it's life all the way to life. Just like it's ruin, all the way to ruin. And I do think that there is something in our culture that is ruining us, that is destroying our soul. And at some point, we have to hear the invitation of Jesus to call us off the highway of production and speed and success and to find the little goat track that's slower, less sexy, less productive. You won't get as far, but you actually might just find life. And I feel like when I read these verses and then I think about me, You know, one of the things I feel like God has just been really inviting me to is to live a much slower life. I feel like the pace of life is destroying my soul. Um, I feel rushed. I feel weary. I feel harassed a lot of the time. I feel like I bounce from one thing to another whether it's in my own life or it's with the kids or it's with our family. And it's the pace of like life is frantic. And I am recognising that on some level it is ruining my soul. I find myself with less peace. I find myself sometimes not able to sleep well. I'm asking myself sometimes where is the joy in my life? Do you know, where is the time to just be Where is the time to actually love the people around me? Because love takes time and energy. And quite frankly, I sometimes feel like I don't have either of those two, which kind of means I'm not loving. And I think Jesus would have a few things to say to me about how rushed I am versus how much time I have to love. And so I feel really challenged by this on a personal level about what am I going to do? What what are are Luke and I going to do together? What's our family going to do in order to get off the highway of rushing and productivity and success and getting ahead and having more in order that we might squeeze ourselves along a little goat track, walk a little bit slower, have a lot more time for love, Time for peace, time for joy, time for useless, non-productive existence and find life. And I do want to say to us as a church that I actually think that this is something that God has put as an invitation over us as a community. The invitation over us as a community is to be like a Sabbath kind of church, a church of rest, a church of time for relationship and time for one another. Not rushing and productivity and busyness, 
but slowness and relationships and dinners at the park and conversations and not too many meetings. And I think this is something that Jesus is going to keep inviting us into as a community. And one of the things I'm, I really love about us as a community, I think, you know, we might explore this a lot more and this came up in a conversation we had as a, as a leadership group when we went away together, is just the numbers of people in our community who are choosing not to work full-time but who are actually choosing to work part-time intentionally. So families have more time together. So there's a different rhythm that instead of believing that we have to work five days a week in order to earn enough money to get that bigger house and the second car, we might choose to just work less and have less and have more time for love and service and generosity. And I'm kind of excited by the imagination of what that could look like as God's people, that we would walk a narrow way that our lifestyles would actually reflect and embody an alternative way. That it wouldn't be like, we just just look just like them, just as rushed, just as busy, just as stressed. They ain't that attractive. (laughs) But I think Jesus is calling us to a narrow way. And I'm excited about what that could look like for us. To be a people who love well because we've got the time to do that. In a minute, I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to just sit with Jesus and um, to maybe just ask him what he might have to say to you about the road that you're on. And look, I'm not saying we're like, I feel like, you know, this is to, to, to imagine that we're either on the wide road or the narrow road is to be very kind of like either or. I think there are parts of our lives that are trekking narrow and there are parts of our lives that are just riding wide. And we just need to let Jesus speak to us about the bits and pieces. So it's not like, oh my goodness, I'm on the wide road and I'm leading to ruin. No, no, no. There's probably some parts of you Jesus might confront. And there's other parts of you that he would be like, you're on the right track. It's lonely and you're feeling squeezed. But just keep going because it leads to life. And this is, I just want to say this because I actually felt when I was preparing this, and this is like, This is a whole other sermon and I'm not going to preach it, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this to you. And that is this. One of the meanings that's attached to the word narrow is the same meaning of what happens when grapes are pressed to make wine. In other words, like there's a connection there between being crushed to make wine But that's seen as good. That's the narrow way. And it's hard and it's uncomfortable. But it leads to richness and joy and life. And what I want to say to you, because this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that there are many of you who are choosing in your own life to walk the narrow road and it feels like you're being crushed But the Holy Spirit wants you to know it's going to lead to life. And specifically what I had in mind when I felt the Holy Spirit say that to me was just this. There are some of you that are confronting things in your life, old ways, old habits, trauma, grief, suffering, abuse, patterns, generational trauma. You 
are walking the narrow way and it feels like you're being crushed. But the Holy Spirit would say to you, that's the road that leads to life. Keep walking it. Keep walking it. Allow your life to be crushed because the juice that's going to come out of you is going to bring joy to many. Some of you are changing the trajectory of your children and your children's children and your children's children's children because you're choosing the narrow road that feels hard and lonely and it's crushing you. But it's going to produce good, good wine. So don't give up. Stay in therapy. Keep praying. Keep working. Keep loving. Keep trusting Jesus because it's the narrow road that leads to life. And the choice sometimes to walk down that road, it's really hard. But it's okay. Trust the wine that will ooze from you. Yeah? That's what I want to say about that. All right. Close your eyes. Let's just bring ourselves before God. We've chatted about many things and some of them are really difficult. Some of them are challenging. Some of them are hard. And in some ways, if we keep this conversation on the level of society as a whole, we almost give ourselves a free pass (laughs) because if we can make it about them, it doesn't have to be about me, despite the fact that I've just told you it was about them and not about me. But what I want you to do is to just bring yourself before the presence of Jesus. And just bring your life before the gaze of the Holy Spirit. And if it's helpful to you, maybe you could picture Jesus as a doctor who's giving you a checkup on what parts of your life might be on the road to ruin and what parts of your life, though they might feel squeezed and hard, might actually be on the road to life. And I just want you to ask Jesus to speak to you today, this afternoon, with all that you've got going on in your world. Just ask Jesus if there's anything he wants to say to you about the road that you're on. Jesus, we want to be a people who hear your words and obey. Jesus, we want to hear you call us and invite us to the narrow way. We want to give you permission to sift our life and to sift the empire out of our living. And so Jesus, for those of us that felt you say something to us this afternoon, would you give us the courage to obey this week? Would you help us to be a people 
who listen to your words and put them into practice because we want to become more and more like you. And Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that in all of this, we need your grace, we need your strength, we need your hope, that this is not just about us mustering up enough energy to make our lives look different, but this is actually about walking with you, drawing from you, leaning on you. So Holy Spirit, would you move through us this week? Where we need creative imagination, would you let your creativity flow through us? Where we need to learn to say no, would you help us to say no? Where we need to learn to say yes, would you help us to say yes? And above all, would you just bring the knowledge that you are our ever-present companion on this road? May that be our anchor. May we know that even though it might feel lonely and hard at times, that we are actually never alone. And that you help us and you are with us and your love is ever present. So God, we give our lives to you. We give our community to you. And we pray that together we might find the narrow way and trust in you as we walk it. Amen. The narrow and the wide way. It's a bit of fun. Well, bless you all. May you have a wonderful week. May you keep finding narrow places. Every time you drive on a road this week, may you remember something about what we talked about tonight. And there is uh, dinner up in the hall. There's lots. Of, I don't know. You actually don't know if there's lots. There's some food. I saw some people walk up there with food. So let's have dinner together. If you're able to stay, that's really great. Just have conversation and be unproductive and eat together. And yeah, if you can make the barbecue on Tuesday, that's fabulous. If not, we'll see you sometime through the week or on Sunday. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>